0: And now, your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. 605
1: in New York City. We're in Midtown today, broadcasting live from my law office because it was a busy day. Welcome back from the weekend, back to the city of New York. As they say in Hamilton, as they sing in the Broadway show, Hamilton, the greatest city in the world. That's why I have all these friends who visit from whether they're from California or from Florida and they come in. Oh, I'm going to stay for a day. I'm I'm just coming in and out. My friend Susan did it last week. She was going to come for 24 hours, 48 hours. She stayed for the whole week. My friend Brett just got here and he's like, I'm leaving tomorrow. That's what he tells me this morning. Now he just texts me. I think I'm going to stay a couple of days. You know why? Because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Because we are New York. And uh, we love uh, we love all of you being here. We have a great show. I think we're going to have a couple of guests on. We're going to talk about Broadway and the revival of Broadway. We're going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about poor Bruce Willis. We're going to talk about Madonna. We're going to talk about jean jackets, denim jackets. Are you ever too old to wear a denim jacket? That is the question. Uh but let me just start off with uh, talking about the United States Supreme Court, or more appropriately, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Uh, what your geeky friend did here this weekend while I was washing some dishes was I put on a podcast. Actually, it was a lecture, a YouTube lecture, about the Federalist Papers and about who wrote um, the you know, the Federalist Papers. And it was Madison uh, and Hamilton uh, and... You know, the judicial branch was really supposed to be the check on the president and on Congress. Uh, there was some fear that the president of the United States would morph into being a, a, an empire, or a king, or, or a dictator of some sort. Congress was supposed to keep their eye on him to make sure, or it was him because it was it was President Washington, and then the judiciary was supposed to keep uh, its eye on both branches. Now, the judiciary, Hamilton wrote, is supposed to be the weakest branch. It was meant to be the weakest branch. Why? Because it cannot be proactive. The judiciary does not have the power to just step up and say, we're going to take on this case. We're going to handle that matter. We don't like the way this is. We're going to fix it. They cannot do that, and they're not supposed to do that. And for the most part, they don't do that. A, a, an issue has to be brought to them. So hypothetically, even if Congress passed a law that was absolutely unconstitutional in and of itself, uh, they cannot the Supreme Court cannot rule on it. They can't say, "Oops, you just passed this law. We're ruling on it. we're gonna we're gonna hear all argument and we rule it to be unconstitutional. No. An individual, a citizen, has to come forward and bring that case to the United States Supreme Court. Someone has to come through, and you know whether it's Miss Roe and, and Roe v. Wade, uh, someone has to come in and and complain about it, and then and only then can the United States Supreme Court act. And that's why Hamilton said it's the weakest of all three branches, and it should be the weakest of all three branches because it's really there to keep everyone in line. And they didn't want it to be a uh, a branch that's a voice of the people. If you read the Federalist Papers, which were which were the documents, they were essays, all pro bono essays, um, written by three great Americans. Hamilton wrote the most, but maybe Madison wrote the most significant of the essays. But it was all about how this country should be won, how how this country should be run, what it what it was meant, what they meant. It was their words, the founders' words. And I remember Justice Scalia saying, if anybody wants to have a, constitu- have a conversation with me about the Constitution of the United States, please don't engage me in that conversation unless you've read the Federalist Papers. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I have not read the Federalist Papers cover to cover. It is not exactly a light James Patterson type of read. Um, but I have read parts of them. The significant parts like essay, I think, number 10 off the top of my head. I think 57 is a big one. There's another one that I'm forgetting right now. But we are in the middle in the United States of America right now of picking a judge, a justice of the Supreme Court. And I think what would sadden the founders, the people who wrote the Federalist Papers, is that it's really so partisan. The vote. It was 11 to 11 to come out of committee. It was tied. Um, <clears throat> Senator Alex Padilla's plane. he took the red eye last night and someone got sick and the flight had to turn around. He wasn't there to vote. So the Senate is voting this evening, the over the entire Senate to discharge that committee and bring her vote to the entire floor of the Senate. It looks like she is going to be confirmed. But this is a tremendous piece of our government the United States Supreme Court. Yes, it's not the sexiest piece. Yes, it's not the most fun piece. Um, But it is a very important piece. And we only really think about the Supreme Court in our face uh, towards the end of June because that's where they usually save all the big decisions for. And I mean, I know why, because they leave. They literally get out of town. Uh, What the United States Supreme Court justices do, most of them, the majority is one of the perks they get is they take summer assignments to go teach at different schools, um, but overseas typically. And, um, you know, they get everything gets paid for. It's all done properly and ethically, but they don't want to get the backlash. They don't want anyone questioning them about those final uh, rulings, whether it's on. Gay marriage, whether it's on Obamacare, whether it's on abortion, whether it's on the death penalty, um, all those big topics, the hot button issues, they usually are ruled on at the end of June. And Contenji Brown Jackson, Judge Jackson, I guess Judge Brown Jackson, look, she's clearly qualified. Um, There have been justices that have been less qualified than she has. Uh, There's arguments that even current members of the court were less qualified to come on to the court than she had. She was, she was a real lawyer, a real lawyer. She was a, a, a legal aid lawyer. So she was in the battles. She was in the battles fighting for rights of citizens. And one of the things that she's been critiqued upon critiqued on is that, uh, she stood up for some detainees having to do with terrorism. Well, That's what you do as a criminal defense attorney, especially as a legal aid attorney, where you're a public servant. You're not thought of often as a public servant, but you're a public servant, not making a lot of money, but you're there to safeguard the Constitution. You are a part of that system. You are what's standing in the way of the tyranny of the majority and the the little guy. And um, so she was criticized for that. Uh, then they they then she ascended to, besides her educational credits which are through the roof fantastic and then she clerked for the judge who she the justice who she's looking to re- replace justice Breyer uh, I mean to just so you guys understand to clerk for United States Supreme Court justice at a law school like there is nothing better than that nothing period amen end of story it is the most prestigious thing you can do um sadly, those people usually come out of four or five. Uh, schools in the whole nation, you know Harvard, Yale, uh, Stanford, and then you'll get one or two you know wild cards. I like uh, Amy Comey Barrett is, I believe from Notre Dame um, so then they so then she ascends to the bench and now they start for eight years she's a real trial judge. The only other justice who's on the bench right now is a real who was a real trial judge was justice Sotomayor. So she knows what we go through when I say we, I mean, those of you who get who have been arrested before or no loved ones who have been arrested before, she was not, not one of these judges who sat up on a perch and just looked down on everyone. She was in the well. That's what we call the area, right in front of the judge, but behind in, in front of the judge and in front of the audience. Uh, it, you, she's been in there as a lawyer. She's been in there as a judge. Then she went up to the appellate court, not for very long, but for long enough to know what's going on. And... The 11 of the 11 Republicans voted against her. Now, I don't know Judge Brown-Jackson at all, and I am not really her advocate, except after listening to this lecture about the Federalist Papers this weekend and how our system is supposed to work, the the Senate is supposed to just make sure that people are qualified and they get a lifetime appointment, and the Senate is supposed to make sure if they start doing things on the court, That disqualifies them, then they can be moved to be impeached. So if they just start ruling against things arbitrarily, the Senate can vote to impeach them. It's not supposed to be this massive, uh, you know, right down the line um, political vote. And that's, it's just sad. I mean, they throw out, oh, we don't like some of her sentences. I would just love to know did every one of those senators who voted against her, who brought up the sentences she handed down, did they each read the sentencing memorandum submitted by the defense attorneys? Did they each read, uh, and the probation department, by the way, which gives a recommendation to the court? Did they all read uh, the transcripts of the attorneys who argued on both sides? Did they all read the defendant's uh, statement to the court before they ruled that they, they found her uh, rulings to be you know unacceptable to them? I doubt it. We need to fix the system. It's a little too political. Well, I certainly just did tell you what was on my mind. And what's on my mind is that we need to be a little less partisan and a little bit more concerned for the people of our nation. You need to be concerned about your family, your immediate family, your husband, your wife, because you know what? Your significant other, even a child, can wind up in a hospital or rehabilitation center. Are people telling you that you're not eligible for Medicaid? Do you know that the cost of a nursing home is could be more than $500 a day, $15,000 a month. Could You should be frightened about bankruptcy just to pay for the medical and facility bills. But you know who's there to help you? Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. These attorneys have been doing this for years, for 40 years, they've helped hundreds and hundreds of people just like you with the same thing you're going through. They'll tell you exactly what you're eligible for And they'll also help you devise a plan to avoid such dire news. So call Connors & Sullivan for a free initial consultation with a lawyer, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. They have offices in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. It is never too late. The time to act is now. Don't wait. Call Connors & Sullivan today, 718-238-6500. At 718-238-6500. You will be glad that you did.
0: The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored in part by the good people at Freehold Mitsubishi in Freehold Township, New Jersey. America's been thunderstruck by the all-new 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. Get high style without the high price, plus an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain limited warranty. Drive one today at Freehold Mitsubishi for the best selection and outstanding customer service. Just a short ride from anywhere in the Metro Tri-State area. Visit FreeholdMitsubishi.com or call 732-863-2788. The
2: gypsy woman told my mother, Before I was born, You got a boy charge coming to be a son of a gun. He gonna make pretty women jump in, shout, then the world wanna know.
1: birthday, Muddy Waters, the man. Sam Bolina, we have any clue how old he is today? Uh, I'm going to guess he's got to be mid-80s. He can't be a kid, that's for sure. We'll, we'll be back with Muddy Waters' age after these messages. And the messages are he was one of the inspirations for uh, the Rolling Stones, as, when he, as well as many other bands that followed in his footsteps. Um, so... Let's talk about the mayor cuz you know I love talking about the mayor. He got a little um got a little beat up uh about the masks, about the kids wearing masks. But uh the and we're talking about kids under 5 years old. <clears throat> I'm looking at a picture of my son Arthur who's 5 years old, so he escapes the whole mask uh mandate situation. What he did say when he announced, I believe it was sometime last week, or maybe the week before, uh, April 4th, we're going to take the masks off the kids. And he said, as long as the numbers hold. Well, the numbers haven't held. And look, no one's getting super sick. But I could tell you, I know a bunch of people who have COVID right now. Um, I called one of my buddies, Steve, on Saturday. Hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to come over for a bite to eat? Um, he goes, actually, odd, I got COVID. Now, he's not really sick. And he's triple vaccinated. But he, um hold on a second. That's how old Muddy Waters is? He's alive? Oh, he would have been. Oh, he's dead. Sorry. I should have known that. Muddy Waters would have been 109. I I apologize. Noah's going to be really upset with me. Um, Wow. Okay. Muddy Waters would have been 109. Only here at AM 970 do you know that Muddy Waters would have been 109. But Muddy Waters was a tremendous influence on New York American music. Let's go back to the masks. Um, So... You know, the mayor got assaulted verbally uh, by a mom and, you know, the the security tried to hush her down when he allowed her to speak. And he just said, look, you know, um, I did tell you that uh, we would take the masks off as long as uh, the numbers held and the numbers haven't held. Matt, let's play cut number seven.
3: My questions are, what is the irreparable harm? to children aged two to four taking off their masks, just as they do in Long Island, just as they do in Westchester? When will you
4: and when will you unmask our toddlers?
2: Thank you. Uh, As I stated, as you indicated, I made the announcement that we were looking to announce today, which is Monday, to uh, take the mask off the two to four years old. But I also stated if we see an uptick, we will come back and make the announcement of what we're going to do. We're going to pivot and shift as COVID is pivoting and shifting. There's a new variant. The numbers are increasing. We're going to move at the right pace, and that's the role I must do. That's what I stated. I'm living up to my promises.
1: So, and then if you dig a little deeper, there's still a decent percent of at-risk people who, you know, for their own reasons— have chosen not to get the vaccine. You know, uh, Dr. Lawrence Haynes was on uh, last week and he he said it was stupid for people not to get the vaccine. Uh, I guess only time and history will tell. Um, Dr. Haynes may be correct that they are stupid for not getting the vaccine. And if something happens, like people who have had some, at least claiming to have some really bad side effects, side effects, you know, I was not thrilled when... um, my little son got the vaccine. However, that was what was kind of mandated because we weren't ready to make the decision for him not to go out and not to go to the circus and not to go to restaurants. And we weren't going to forge documents to get him in. We just keep our fingers crossed that everything is going to be all right. But obviously, no one wants these kids to be wearing these masks. But the mayor, you know, he's he said in the beginning he's going to follow the numbers and he is following the numbers um speaking of health we spoke about Bruce Willis last week and this is a story that kind of bums me out because I am a big Bruce Willis fan um I like you know a lot of his movies especially uh Pulp Fiction but I had not seen Die Hard in a long time so uh this weekend when I was with my big son Luca who you all now know from the radio we watched not only Die Hard 1 but Die Hard 2 um, they're both good, but diehard one is just great. I mean, it's a classic it's, it's, and he's great in it. And, um, aphasia, I mean, aphasia, aphasia, I've never heard of that, but it really, it affects your ability to speak, read and write. It's like, there's a, there are a constellation of symptoms and it's based on the left side of your brain, uh, deteriorating usually it's caused by a stroke or, um, A blow to the head they're not reporting anything you know of that nature regarding bruce willis but i guess maybe the reason why i could sympathize with him is if i lost my ability to speak and read and write you know i'm done right i'm i'm no longer a lawyer um if you're doing appellate law you have to read and write if you're doing trial law you have to read write and speak you know it's it's a little scary, you know, I'm, I'm on a mission to, from God here to live, live until I'm at least 93 to be at my daughter's 40th birthday. And I'm sure Bruce Willis, uh, who has a lot to live for as well, felt the same way. And then boom, uh, no more. Uh, you just, and, and it, it's an Alzheimer's type of situation. And you get to a point where you can't take care of yourself. And that is very, very d- a difficult place to be, especially when you know you're heading in that direction. Um, on Friday night, I, I, when I left you guys, I was heading to the Geraldo Rivera fundraiser. Uh, he, he was; you know, it's his, um, it's his organization that he set up with Vicky Schneps, whose child was in Willowbrook 51 years ago, and after they broke into Willowbrook and, and showed the atrocities there, they set up this. Um, foundation life's work uh and bill o'reilly was the keynote speaker and you know no matter about his politics the guy bill o'reilly is a a fantastic orator, and he knows how to he knows how to play the crowd he knows the crowd he's in front of and he tied it in a little bit to the founding fathers uh specifically thomas jefferson and he said you know Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where did the pursuit of happiness come from? It came from John Locke, who was in England. And they said that, you know, that is a right. It's a God-given right to be able to pursue happiness, to do what you need to do to pursue happiness. And, of course, at that time, that only stood for landowners and white people and and a certain level of uh, sophistication, nobles. And if you were even a Caucasian, but you were in slavery or you were at the bottom of the barrel, you know, initially you didn't have the ability to pursue happiness. And that's why this country is so great, because this was a country, the first one in humankind's existence, that was founded on many people, I can't say all people, but many people, no matter your station in life, being able to pursue happiness, but people who are born with mental diseases, With physical defects, um, or in Bruce Willis's case, and many millions of others, develop them, and you can no longer pursue your own happiness. Now you need to rely on others to help you pursue happiness. That's what these caregivers are for, and that's what the uh, the charity event that uh, Geraldo was honored at, as well as Vicky and and Bill O'Reilly spoke. It's all about raising the money. Raising awareness, giving it to people who know what they're doing. They have 45 group homes to help people who are either born with these disabilities and then there are other homes for people who have developed them like Bruce Willis. And when you see some of these people, because some of them, some of the residents were at the event at the Garden City Hotel, which was fantastic. Um, you know, it, it you hit reset on your own clock, at your own inside system because things that you thought your problems were you look at not only the residents of these homes that Heraldo's organization takes care of, but you look at their parents and you look at their siblings who are there and you realize the pain the, you, know, the, you know the anguish that they must must go through knowing that these people who they brought into the world, their son, their daughter uh, they cannot pursue their own happiness. And I, I don't want to imagine what that's like to live with. So on Monday night at around, I don't know, what is it? Six something here. 620, 628. You know, and you may be in your car right now and, and you know, oh, I'm sitting in traffic. This stinks. Or maybe you burnt the chicken or the broccoli rob or whatever you're cooking. And you, oh what a pain in the neck this is. Or you spilled something. Just remember, um, there are some people out there who have been given a very different lot in life. And kudos to the people like Geraldo Rivera and Vicki Schneps and Bill O'Reilly who came together to help those who can not help themselves in pursuing happiness. We're going to have a great guest right at the next bottom of the hour. Hi,
3: Kevin McCullough. The markets were down on Friday. Are they up today? Where will they land tonight at 7 o'clock? Hillary Kramer will break it all down with yours truly, Kevin McCullough. It is Monday night on Radio Night Live. We'll see you starting at 7 on AM 970, The Answer. Hey, you ever wanted to learn a language like French or Spanish or even Norwegian but thought it would be too difficult or time-consuming? Then try Babbel. Quick 10-minute lessons. Siesta. Bambola. Games, podcasts, even live online classes with a real teacher. Hola, clase. In no time, chatting about real-life topics will feel, well, effortless. Learn a new language with ease. Go to babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com.
0: Holland Christian Home is a Christian home for seniors, a place that will treat your loved one with kindness and respect. Located in North Haledon, New Jersey, Holland Christian Home is filled with fun activities, delicious meals, medical care, and more. Founded more than 125 years ago, Holland Christian Home provides the physical, social, and financial needs to care for seniors. Go to hchnj.org or call Charlotte at 973-807-3245. Call Holland Christian Home to discuss how they can care for your aging loved one with residential living a permanent life care program and respite care you'll have peace of mind that your mom or dad aunt or uncle friends and loved ones are in a warm and loving community daily chapel services are included hchnj.com or call 973-807-3245 holland christian home will care for your aging loved one with kindness and respect hchnj.org or 973-807-3245 holland christian home ask for Charlotte.
3: News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. 51 degrees, we have partly cloudy skies. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, New York state lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul are still trying to come to a budget agreement after missing Friday's budget deadline. Sources tell the New York Post there is no deal reached yet on some key issues and that state lawmakers were told to plan on staying in Albany for at least a few more days. New Jersey high school students might get to sleep in a bit, Liz Warner explains.
2: New Jersey State Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin introducing new legislation that would require schools to begin no earlier than 8.30 a.m. According to recent studies from the American Association of Pediatrics, insufficient sleep in adolescents is an important public health issue and it can significantly affect the health, safety, and academic success of middle and high schoolers. Statewide start times currently vary in the Garden State, with some beginning classes at 7.30 a.m. Liz Warner, NBC News Radio, New York.
3: One person was injured in a small plane crash outside a New Jersey home this afternoon. Jennifer Polsoni has more.
0: Officials say the single-engine plane out of Greensboro, North Carolina, went down around 1 in the afternoon, ending up on the grass between two homes on South Main Street in Manville. The incident happening not far from the central Jersey airport where the plane was headed. One person in the plane taken to the hospital with injuries to the face. The plane brought down power lines, closing a portion of the street. The cause of the crash under investigation. Jennifer Polsoni NBC News Radio.
3: Thank you, Jennifer. Taking a look at the traffic, 20 to 30 minutes outbound the Holland Tunnel, 5 to 10 on the city-bound side, 20 to 30 minutes outbound at the Lincoln. Inbound, we're doing okay. in the George Washington Bridge, at least on the span, we're doing okay in both directions. Mostly cloudy skies tonight, low 44. I hope you enjoyed the sunshine today because we're not going to see a whole lot of it the rest of the work week. Cloudy skies tomorrow with rain in the afternoon, high 46. Rain for Wednesday, rain for Thursday, morning showers Friday. Then maybe, just maybe, we'll see the sun in the afternoon Friday. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour
0: with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney
1: Arthur Idala. So we talked about the United States Supreme Court. We've talked about the Federalist Papers. We talked about fundraisers for the dis- disabled. Now let's talk about Broadway, um, The Great White Way. So there was a big opening, uh, the first Broadway opening of a brand new show, not like a revival like Music Man. Um, And it was a star-studded event. I believe Bono was there. Liam Neeson was there. um, I believe the former mayor was there. And the current mayor was there to welcome everybody. The name of the show is Paradise Square. And, you know, it's not typical for a mayor to come to the opening night of a uh, Broadway show, but Mayor Adams did to be the cheerleader of New York City. And let's hear what he had to say.
2: I'm proud to be
1: the 110th
2: mayor of the city of New York, no matter what. No matter what, the small towns all over the globe, and small places, no matter what they think, they have to come to one
1: realization. New York is the center of the universe. <laughs> well, we all know that I agree with that statement. New York is the center of the universe. But the um, author and creator of this Broadway show, Paradise Square, Larry Kerwin, is not exactly a New Yorker. But let's hear it from him. Mr. Kerwin, are you, are you on the line here with Arthur Idala? I'm here with you, Arthur. <laughs> Buddy oh, con- congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, I can hear by your brogue. What exactly town in Sicily are you from? <laughs> Palermo. <laughs> oh, that's where I'm from. Yeah, it's the right answer. That's the right. So, what county are you from? I'm from County Wexford.
4: It's a southeast corner, about 80 miles directly south of Dublin.
1: Oh, I was going to just say that. Okay, I know. I know where we're at. Well, congratulations, first and foremost, uh, having a bro the first Broadway show open after the you know, the horror show we just lived through for the last two years. That's a big deal. I am a Broadway guy, just so you know. Um, I am a big fan, and um, in no particular order, I'm a Les Mis, Hamilton, Rent, Phantom of the Opera kind of guy. Um, And uh, I am looking forward to seeing your show. I was actually invited this weekend, but it was a little bit of a, child time with uh, my family so I couldn't disappear, but I got, I'm got. i hoping you're going to have a very long run. Why don't you tell our listeners what Paradise Square is all about? Well,
4: it's set in 1863 um, right after the Battle of Gettysburg, but at this point nobody knows that the North has won it. And um, there's an area in New York City called the Five Points, or the Was, which is just below Canal Street, um, around where the courthouses are now and uh, where Columbus Square is. And that was the greatest slum in the world at that point. And the Irish, when they arrived from uh, suffering from the potato famine, they poured in there from 1845 till about 1860. And they they were diseased and they were uh, hungry and had no money, and even the Irish Catholics who had arrived before them didn't want anything to do with them. But the only people who took them in were the free African-Americans who lived in the Five Points. And once the Irish got on their feet a bit uh, and got a little bit of money, they started attending the African-American dance halls. For whatever reason, African-Americans ran the dance halls in the Five Points. and. Romances broke out between the, uh, young Irish and young African Americans or families. And a form of culture came out of it too. Tap dancing evolved because of the competitions between the Irish step dancers and the African American Juba dancers. Wow. So this all went, this all went on for maybe, uh, up to 18 years. And then, Right before the, or just before the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, a draft, the first federal draft was brought in by President Lincoln, and he put one unfortunate piece in that draft, in that if you had $300 to spare, you could buy your way out of it. Now, all the immigrants who had poured into the city at this point, they were outraged at this, and they marched against the draft, and... Uh, a lot of awful things happened over the four days including 11 African Americans getting hung and after that this amalgamation that had happened between the Irish and the free African Americans ended and that's the basis of the story, that's the, the background. So,
1: the, the five points, um, that was the, the very famous movie, right, with Daniel Day-Lewis, um, the Gangs of New York, Leonardo DiCaprio?
4: Yeah. It's the same area. Uh, the thing with the Scorsese movie and the way Martin did it, it was more, he based it on the book Gangs of New York, uh, which talked about the battles between the Irish gangs and the, the nativist Bowery Boy gangs. Uh, we were approaching it from the whole point of um, of race, too, that African-Americans had played a big part in the story of the five points, and we, we wanted to include that part of it.
1: And tell me, what was the hardest part of launching a Broadway show in 2022, the logistics of it, right, coming out of the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera?
4: Oh, my God. Yeah. It was
1: like, <laughs> I, I mean, guess that's my... an easy question. Well, that sums it up, folks. It, it was a
4: nightmare in all sorts of ways. We we had done the show in uh, in Berkeley in California. It was a big success, and we were supposed to come to New York uh, roughly two years ago, but then the pandemic struck, and everything got held up for the two years. So uh, there was a break in the pandemic, and we, we took the show to Chicago, um, and it became a success there. But we were working under the the whole COVID restrictions. You had to get tested, you know, every couple of days. You had to wear a mask the whole time. And there's a lot of dancing and singing, of course, in a musical. So imagine wearing um, a mask through eight hours of that a day. And and then we we moved to New York and we began the whole same whole process again. Working from New York, but working under these COVID restrictions, so that you're always in masks and you're always being tested and you're always so you, afraid someone's going to pick it up. So you have people, interested. you have people
1: singing and stuff wearing masks. Yeah, yeah.
4: Depending on their, you know, yeah. Sometimes you take the the masks down and sing that little bit, but then the more you had the mask on, the less. Threat there was of someone infecting the company, and you know, if if the COVID spread within the company, then you'd have to cancel at that point. So, so how
1: do how do Bono? How, I'm sorry, how do how do Bono and Liam Neeson wind up at the uh, the, the show last night? Well,
4: I, I don't know. There were so many celebrities there; I didn't see them. I, I was kind of concentrating on the show myself, and uh, I was kind of I was taken by the mayor being there and seeing. And hearing his message that you know we have problems in our society today, and those problems the same problems were in the society in eighteen sixty three so that maybe in some way this show could show a way forward uh, to people nowadays that was the the message I was taken from the number well, one celebrity, the mayor.
1: Well, that, that listen, that's great, and I'm glad he was there, and I'm glad he's supporting you. And, Larry, tell uh, the ladies and gentlemen, you, you, I mean, you did the book, you did the music, uh, I think you did the arrangement. Tell folks what's the easiest way to get tickets.
4: The, well, I conceived the, the whole thing uh, originally, but there were a lot of other people in there who were contributing to the book and to the music and whatever. It wasn't just me. Uh, but to get tickets, just go to Paradise Square Musical, all one word.com. So Paradise Square Musical.com. Or else just drop by the uh, Barrymore Theater on 47th Street, between 7th and 8th, and uh, pick them up at the box office. But-
1: well, listen, we are all here to support you, and I urge people to go out, grab your tickets, go online, find them there. Uh, you know, Broadway is a big piece of New York. It's a great piece of New York. We're all theater people. Um, so, well, you know, nothing says a party like singing show tunes, you know what I'm saying? So Larry, thank you for bringing some more show tunes, uh, into our, uh, into our world. We wish you the best of luck and, um, we'll keep following the show.
4: Thank you so much, Arthur. We appreciate it.
1: All right. Thank you so much. That was Larry Kerwan. And, uh, you know, listen, a new Broadway show opening in uh, March of 2022. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it's a really big deal. Uh, The money that goes into all of these shows, the planning, you you have to raise the money for them. Uh, Listen, I don't know how full I don't follow these things the way my buddy Paul Carlucci does. It goes on Playbill uh, with a website and tells you how many people are going to see this show or that show. But Number one, we need Broadway. Number two, it really is entertaining. I mean, a lot of my friends make fun of me because I'm all into these these Broadway shows. But you go in there, you're entertained, you usually come out feeling good. And um, I, my guess is that the shows aren't so packed. Go see Dear Evan Hansen. It's fantastic. Go back and see uh, Fandom of the Opera. Even if you've seen it, they retooled it. It's fantastic. So, you know, don't th- – and if maybe you get tickets to Hamilton, go see it. The music, man, I know you can't get tickets for it because you, Jackman is the hottest ticket in town. They set some sort of a record. When we get back, we're going to talk about NCAA. We're going to talk about the Grammys. We'll touch on Will Smith. We'll touch on life. All right? So take a quick break. We're going to be back in two minutes. Fight,
4: and fight for what I know, America.
0: 788. New York City's first and only life plan community, Rivers Edge, will soon be built on a 32 acre campus along the Hudson River, just minutes away from Grand Central and Riverdale. Rivers Edge, a community for adults ages 62 and up, combines a cosmopolitan lifestyle with the security of knowing that if your health changes, your needs can be met seamlessly right where you live. You have a life plan with easy access to uninterrupted on site care at no additional cost, no matter how your needs change. Rivers Edge, your plan for wonderful. Call 844 55 River. That's 844 55 River, or visit at riversedge.org Gregory Floyd, host of Reaching Out, gets answers to the tough questions from people in the know.
2: Joining us is Councilman Ben Kellis. What do you think about the labor movement post-Janus? What are you hearing?
3: I've spoken to public service labor unions all over the city and state, and they are telling me that they are stronger than ever. Members of labor know what's at stake, and they're not falling for any of the stuff that's coming out of Washington. They know that Janus was an attack on labor, and frankly, they know that no one. One's looking out for them other than their labor union. So I see folks getting more involved. And I think that if labor members get involved in their unions, I think that you can define who will be the next president of the United States of America, the next mayor of the city of New York, the next borough president in Manhattan, and the next council members, because everything's up for grabs in 2020 and 2021. It's reaching
0: out with Gregory Floyd at a new time, Saturday afternoon at 2.30 and again at 9 p.m. on AM 970, The Answer. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer.
1: You are Mr. Uh, DJ over here. Isn't that like the Grammy's song of the year or something along those lines?
3: It is technically, yes. Song of the year. It is also the best
1: r and performance and best r and song. All right. Clean sweep um, for these guys. So and, and what's the name of the band? It's Silk
2: Sonic, Anderson Pack, and Bruno Mars.
1: Oh, Bruno Mars. Okay, I know that one. And um, I know Lady Gaga won an award last night, right? Or her, was it her and Tony Bennett won the yes,
3: award? Yes, uh, they they won it collaboratively, yes. Okay,
1: well, that is that. I'm happy to hear that. Um, I must say, I was too busy last night to watch the Grammys. I'm, I don't think I was watching anything. Well, I watched the end of Die Hard 2 with Luca, but uh, yeah, then it was just time to read some stuff. And here's one of the things I read um, that a judge. Uh, all the way upstate New York, Judge um, Patrick McAllister on Thursday ruled that the electoral maps produced by the Democratic-controlled legislature that was signed into law um, were unfair and needed to be redrawn. Just so you guys know, what uh, happened is the uh, they take the census, they take it to Albany, the Democratic-controlled Senate, uh legislature, I should say, redraws the maps and they redraw it based on the census. Now, I haven't dug deep enough into this to give you an adequate explanation, but I will. Maybe that's tonight's project. Um, But they basically redraw it so that they win every congressional seat. It's all mostly about the congressional seats. And um, this judge has said, no. Nah, it's just—it's too partisan. It's overly partisan. It's—it's it's despicable gerrymandering, and it has to be redone. Now, I'm assuming this was on Thursday. I'm assuming they're already in the appellate division saying no, cancel this. But you know, can't, uh, put his order in abeyance and hear the oral argument. But you know, petitioning is going on as we speak, and it ends, I think, at the end of this week. And if if this judge is is held, is he's is, he's affirmed. By the appellate division, and then it will go right up to the Court of Appeals. Now, quite frankly, in a case like this, I don't know why they just don't skip the appellate division and go right to the Court of Appeals because they're the ones who are going to make the decision. And that's what they do in these heavy cases on the federal level. They'll just skip the circuit court and go right to the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. But here, I believe they're going to go to the appellate division. That's what I heard. But that could change to save time because time is of the essence. June 28th is the primary. You have... Uh, Senator Biagi, she wants to run for uh, Swazi's seat. Uh, You have another Italian-American young man. I forget his name. He wants to run for Kathleen Rice's seat. But that's all based on where these lines are drawn. Uh, You know, Nicole Ballyatakis, she went from being in, like, Bensonhurst, besides Staten Island, Bensonhurst and, like, like Garrison Beach and that part of Brooklyn to Park Slope and Sunset Park. Um, So if those things change, if those uh, locations change, that changes the whole race. So time is of the essence to fix these things, um, and we need to fix them, you know, like this week or next week, or they have to – the Court of Appeals is going to have to say, all right, we are upholding him. We're telling the the legislature to redraw the lines, and we need to um, extend now the time to to petition because – they could cut someone who thinks they're going to run in that particular district because it's favorable. They could they could cut them out, or just decide. Wait wait hold on. Sunset Park is not in that district anymore. Park Slope's not in that district. Or uh, for Senator Biaggi, she may look at things if if the if things are redrawn. I'm like, hold on. All of a sudden, my polling doesn't hold up. Maybe I can't win. Maybe I should just stay where I am. So I mean, that is a very interesting case. That uh, I promise you, we will keep our eye on. The mayor of the city of New York, who wants everyone in Florida to come back here, he made a de- direct appeal to the LGBTQ community saying, you know, they say don't say gay. They say don't gay- say gay in Florida. Well, we don't say that here in New York. So come back to New York. Come back to New York, and we will welcome you with open arms. Now, the don't say gay thing. Boy, there's not enough time, even in a full show, to address that. Um, You know, it's... Do I want uh, someone next year, when Arthur starts fifth grade, to start talking to him about, you know, sex education and and different kinds of families? No, no, I want to do that. And I want to do that when my... When I determine, and Marianne and I determine, that Arthur is up for that conversation. If the... uh, Issue is forced somehow or another. Like I believe I said once on this show that when I was oof, six or seven years old, there was a, a gay couple that moved next door, two men, and you know my parents decided, okay, we got to kind of let them know what's going on here because it was sl- somewhat confusing um, to me, and they did. But that was their choice. It wasn't you know Miss McFarlane's choice or Miss Brennan's choice or any of my teachers, Miss Miss Gaffney or Miss Colkin. Uh, You know, they didn't decide when I was ready. My family did. Now, I understand the complicating factor is, sadly, there are a lot of kids who don't have families out there that are, number one, that care, right? There's a lot of kids out there who aren't doing so well in the family department, number one. Number two, uh, there may be families out there that this is not a big issue for them, and they just want to shield their children to it. And I understand, like, I live in Manhattan and Brooklyn and where this is like a normal situation. I, I, I will compare it to Jewish folks. For me, I, uh, Jewish people are like my brothers and sisters. I mean, literally, you go to other parts of this state, let alone this country, this state, and they're like, oh, you hang out with the Jews? And I, I'm like, what? So these are complex issues that need to be discussed. In Florida, they have this legislation, I believe that's pending. I don't think it's passed, called, you know, don't say gay, meaning they don't want any anything to be taught in the classrooms before, I think, third grade, which in and of itself on its face. I think there's a lot of topics that should not be discussed before third, third grade in the classroom, not just about this one particular topic. So um, the mayor is doing anything he can to get people back from Florida up here. And you know how that's going to happen organically? It gets really hot in Florida really soon. Like, I was outside this weekend loving life. I waxed one of my cars. I was just really enjoying myself, playing some music. And it was like 55 degrees and sunny. I love that weather. I love that weather. Um, I'll tell you what I didn't love. We have a beautiful magnolia tree. Uh, it's not mine. It's my neighbor's in Brooklyn. And it was just budding. It was just about to come out. You, it's pink and white and all the buds were there and beautiful. And then we hit that 29-degree day and they're all burnt up. I saw it this morning and it really broke my heart. It was like I saw a little dog get hit by a car. I mean, I, I look forward to that tree blooming every year. I have photographs of it every year when it blooms. I mean, it's big. It's huge. Um, and it's all the blooms are dead. They're all brown and dried up. Um amazon they got uh they they unionize well now the the some certain subsidiaries of Starbucks are starting to come along and as i mentioned uh would would amazon being the first would they be the first uh domino and barrister has this New york city reserve roastery um and this is i believe the ninth uh st- version of Starbucks that they're unionizing as well so <clears throat> um It's not all the Starbucks, but they're doing it individually. How do we feel about unions? Well, that all depends on who you are. Um, But I think that in an industry as large uh, as Starbucks, and especially Amazon, which has really become a violation of all types of antitrust laws, if you ask me, um, I'm glad that there are people there to protect the workers and to make sure, I mean, this guy is making, he's going to be the first trillionaire. Shouldn't that trickle down a little bit, folks? A tr- does he need to be a trillionaire? I mean, what does he want to do, buy the planet? Um, and I'm sure he does some charitable work. I'd like to think he's done a lot of charitable work. But let's give some to the workers. You know, when I was at the Heraldo event, you look at the workers who take care of these people who are unable to pursue happiness on their own. A lot of these people get paid minimum wage, and they are taking care of another human life. And I am on a mission for whatever little pennies I have in the bank, to make sure that those people who are helping others pursue happiness don't get paid minimum wage. And in, in breaking news, Mitt Romney will support uh, Justice, Jackson, Justice Jackson, Justice Brown Jackson. So she's all but guaranteed to be the next member of the United States Supreme Court. And you're never too old to wear a jean jacket. The New York Times says you are never too old to wear a jean jacket. So put one on tomorrow and listen to the Idola Power Hour. See you tomorrow.
2: We to Avenue, and we'll take it
0: the preceding program sponsored by freehold Mitsubishi